Welcome to Say That Podcast, your big questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago, and joining me here is Memphis Herald, the founder of Mission USA. I just love driving Matt crazy. That's true. We were Before we hit record, we were uh, doing everyone's favorite Say That version of Who's On First, where I try to start the show, and Glenn makes random coughing sounds, Yep. pretends he doesn't know I'm trying to start the show. Never gets old. Also joining us, Judd Brewer, the director of Mission USA Productions. Greetings! Joining us all the way over... I can talk words. Joining us all the way... <laughs> From Oak Ridge, Tennessee, each of those are individual words <laughs> and should be pronounced as such. One of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. I am slightly less disgruntled than Glenn. Oh, well. We have uh, Glenn is disgruntled. Uh, Lee is partially gruntled. Yes. Okay, well, that's, 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 that's the way to be. Right. I am just right. <laughs> but no, no, I'm not all right. Nothing's all right. Gentlemen, I have to declare an emergency. Is it really Is an it emergency? about porridge? Well, in a sense, all emergencies are about porridge. If things go bad enough, we all wind up eating porridge. That's the worst emergency I can imagine. All right. Here's the scoop. Here's the scuttlebutt. Here's what's going on. This sounds serious. Here's what's going down, bro. Wow. Whoa. Okay. Recently, I go to my desk. All right. Okay. My my sanctuary. My Nobody likes a braggart, Jeff. That's right. I have a desk. Some of us work (laughs) off a card table like normal people. I go... I go to my rich mahogany desk. Is it really an, an escritoire? <laughs> wow. Wow, wow, well done. Wow. <laughs> and on it has been placed an envelope of mysterious origin. Mm. A parcel. A parcel, if you will. You got to roll back the thing on the rollback That's part. right. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's right. So, you got your quill pen and thing. But exactly. anyway, you, you go ahead with your story. I'm just trying to paint a picture. You, no, you, you got to paint the word picture. I roll it back. I grab my quill pen. Mm-hmm. I straighten my powdered wig. Right. And suddenly I notice this mysterious package slash parcel right. sitting there in my place of working. Ah. Scrawled and incomprehensible, but just enough for me to understand it. Text. Now, is that like a runes? Is this pretty is much there like mysterious uh, yes. symbols? Yes, exactly. Okay, you yes. have it. Very intriguing. Oh. I used uh, my advanced knowledge of world languages to decipher it. Mm. And it says it's in English <laughs> to the gentlemen of the Say That exclamation point podcast ellipsis. Mm. We trust. Real ellipsis. Thank you for recognizing the exclamation point in the branding. We trust our meaning is clear. <laughs> period. <laughs> Ever vigilant, comma, the L-C-M. Whoa. Okay, well, that's where things get serious. Yes. Gentlemen, that's right. A package from the L-C-M. Mm. Quivering wow. with anticipation. <laughs> nope. <laughs> really? <laughs> Gonna go ahead and throw I, a flag on that one. I felt like that was... Uh, it, you Too know, some, you, you, You're never quite sure when you cross the line. Yeah. But sometimes you're way over it, yeah. and you say, there was a line back there, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> it was a blur, but, you know. Fearful for my life, perhaps my very soul. There we go. I carefully, Ladies. cautiously opened this parcel. Alert, lest a booby trap await me. Yes. <laughs> but inside, I found three pieces of, shall we call it, art. Oh. Uh, having seen it, that's debatable. Is that an oil portrait uh, kind of... Uh, of a sort. Some fine sculpture of some sort. Three images mm. with an implied threat. Mm. The first image 
a man, probably Jesus, appearing <laughs> to hold a hot dog. Okay. The next image, a man, apparently Jesus, appearing to surf on an asteroid headed for New York City. Okay. <laughs> and a third image, a man, apparently Jesus, sitting on top of a dinosaur, the dinosaur is holding an American flag, and Jesus is holding a machine gun. I see. Big magazine, too. We've learned a couple of things from this interaction. Right. One, I don't think Jed knows what the word apparently means. Right. No. I... Two, once Jed gets stuck in an accent, you got to give him yeah, an off ramp, that, or he right. just it just kind of keeps happening. Yeah. <laughs> and three, I think we're in trouble, fellas. Yeah. Right. Because wow. the the note very clearly said our meaning is clear. Yeah. And I don't think it is. No. So it's it's a, you got like three images there. Yep. And you got to do very that. Code. Now you should point out, Jed. Yes. Who the LCM is? The LCM it stands for the Lady Christian Mafia. Right. And it is, we would call it unofficial, but at this point, I don't think that applies. It is the network of uh, women of faith worldwide. Um, Some of them are members of the pastorate. Mm -hmm. Some of them are pastor's wives. Mm -hmm. Some of them run multi-campus churches. Some of them church secretaries. Yes. But they are the people who run Christianity. That's correct. Jed, are they they shrouded in mystery? Shrouded in mystery, <laughs> possessing indescribable power. That's right. The LCM. And it is. A, it Why is did a, you become Skeletor at the end of that one? <laughs> it's exciting. What can I tell you? It, it is, a, is an absolute certain fact that the men on this podcast are doing everything we can to be on the good side of the LCM. You know that's right. Keep them happy because things go horribly wrong otherwise. Which is why we need to decipher what this all means. Right. I mean, is is it a warning? You ever have some associate pastor, like a youth leader or something, who just one Sunday, he's not at church anymore, and it's kind of like, you know, Pastor Ricky's moved on and we don't know where he sees him again? Yeah. He crossed the LCM. That's right. Uh He's lost to us now. Yeah. That's gone. Yeah, we shun him now. Yeah, we can't, oh, yeah. We can't associate oh, with that. But, yeah, be clear. If you tick off any manner of street gang, whatever, there's always room for you at the bridge. If you piss off the LCM, we don't know you. Yeah. Wow. And you cross the street when we you see us coming. <laughs> That's right. Because we can't be seen near you. There's even a couple of guys in the Bible that, like, they just kind of disappeared without dying. Yeah. We can't be sure that the LCM, the Lady Christian Mafia, didn't take them all the way out. Absolutely. Although one one thing we do need to point out about the the artwork in the in the parcel is when when Jed was describing the very first one, he said a man who appears to be Jesus is holding a hot dog. What we need to say about that one for the for the listeners at home is he's holding a hot dog the size of a man aloft. That above is true. His yeah. head. And this is a hot dog that is, if it were real, would weigh in excess of two hundred pounds. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Which just sounds like a hot dog in this town. Um, and just to be clear, I know we're doing a visual bid. If you, if you go to check out the, the Facebook, the Twitter, the, the Tumblr, we'll, we'll put up said images so you can right. have a reference for yourself. Well, because people could solve the mystery. Absolutely. We need help. You know what this is? Tell me. It's like being inside the Da Vinci Code. Ooh, wow. It's just like that. I did not read the book, and I have no idea what it is. Actually. Are you a symbologist? I th- well, no, because if I was, I'd already know what the message is. Well, you raise a good point. Can we get Tom Hanks? I I don't think so. Not on so. this budget, no. Oh, okay, well, never so, mind then. You know, but we gotta you know, we gotta crack the code. We here. can get the other guy from Bosom Buddies. Will he help? 
<laughs> if we knew what his name was, <laughs> that's probably the only holdup. I think if you just put a Hollywood cast, we need the other guy. He knows. <laughs> yeah. Put it out there. We've got an oversized hot dog surfing on an asteroid. Yeah. And a gun-toting Jesus on top of a dinosaur holding an American flag. Right. I seriously, seriously want to watch the movie of that third button. Right. I, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I think this might be in the manner of a warning. Okay. Yeah. And, and something of a, 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 a let's not head in this direction kind right. of, uh, you know what I mean? Right, right, right. This is, this is not, uh, the, sort of, maybe this is where things are headed. Yes, and we need to not go any further that direction. Right. Perhaps because of your hot doggery, mm-hmm. right? That we yes. Have, we hot off- dogging and your grandstanding. Exactly your, right. Your insistence on eating red meat yes. as males. Jesus is on his way yeah. wow. to punish you with a right. very patriotic dinosaur. <laughs> right. 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 Or just something. Yes. But just, I think the main message I'm receiving out of this, and this could just be me. The main thing I'm getting is stop it. I think yeah. that has to be the central message. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. Just stop it. Yes. Does do do you think that what's happening in the image with the hot dog is like Jesus's finishing move? Oh, dude! Like, like he's about a, to body like a, slam the hot dog. Yeah, like a WWE. Like this is it. This is a signature move. Well, we have to to turn to resident wrestling expert Matthew King for totally. the expert analysis. Well, I think what we see here is, and a, a a comparison I'm deeply uncomfortable making. It appears that uh, the Jesus of this move is about to go Ultimate Warrior and really <laughs> press slam this hot dog. Okay, mm. and we we do have uh, people adoringly looking on. Now, I I had a different idea of the uh, of the Jesus in this because I I maintain that you know. In the ancient, in the you know the, the Renaissance world, you know you you build a big statue, and that's how you that's you know that was a, a way to share your faith. You know, right? The Vatican is full of this. And the majesty, I think, uh, Chicago Jesus. If we had a a Christ the Redeemer kind of Rio de Janeiro forty foot tall statue of Jesus, but he's holding a hot dog aloft, yeah, oh, yeah. that would really say welcome to Chicago for sure. People would wow. identify with that. I think that was, I think, so that it may indicate place. Right. Then the second one, because these are, are laid out in an order. I don't know if they came this order, but I think it found the order it needed. Mm. We have Jesus uh, apparently surfing an asteroid into a major metropolitan area, which we can tell from the first one is probably Chicago. Right. right? Um, as I believe is uh, one of our friends who looked at this said, he appears to be riding a cookie that's on fire. Sure. Okay. So there's a lot of spiritual health metaphors going on okay. here. Watch out of that. And then the final one is, as as uh, pointed out, uh, Jesus riding a dinosaur that is holding an American flag, while Jesus is holding an AK-47, definitely, but one that seems to be about four times the normal size. <laughs> okay, <laughs> like it is, it is the as long as Jesus is tall. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's a big on gun. this. And I, I I agree with Glenn. I think the message being told here is, you know, there's a lot of people misbehaving. In a town known for hot dogs. Yeah. I think that would probably be us. Right, right. Um, Jesus is going to come down. Right. And uh, he's not, he could deal with you in any number of ways. He's going to go dinosaur cavalry level of dealing with you. That's how bad you're misbehaving here. So we're talking about basically Jurassic Park. Yes. Yep. We got us a dinosaur. Yes. Rambo Jesus. Rambo Jesus. It's like, because they, 
They grow them in a in a test tube. Yes. Jesus. No, the, the, the dinosaur. Oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, then uh, you get a giant gun. Right. And that's it. Right. Yes. So you know, watch out. That's totally. what I'm getting from that. I think that's probably the right takeaway. You know, sort of. Hey, you. That's enough there. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yes. Yes. That's what I'm receiving from it. Yeah. Well, I think. I think also. You know. As you're trying to impress upon you know your your audience how important things are, you know, and it's, it's something that runs through the entirety of church history. You know, there's sure. a lot of apocalyptic literature, and right. obviously the most common being the Book of Revelation, which you know Revelation says, "I looked, and there before me was a white horse, and its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode as a conqueror bent on conquest," which is right. you know that's pretty good. Sure. But if you change that for a modern audience, or at least a modern audience of us, and to behold, I held a dinosaur, right, <laughs> and there was a rider that sat upon him, right, holding a four foot long AK forty seven, right. You think I, I better pay attention, yes. right? Well, he, he, let me ask you this: Hit me, please. Have we looked at this with a black light? We have not, because that's what happens in the movies. Yes, like he got a, You remember the Nicolas Cage one? Of course, I remember all of them, and. He, they're like Wicker hunt, Man. They're like, talking about Wicker Man. No. <laughs> I'm talking about the one they're like hunting, like documents. Yeah, National you know? Treasure. Man. Okay, National Treasure. Isn't that how that goes? Is like you put a black light on it and it reveals something. That sounds right. Or hold it up to the light or something. I don't know what how they do it. In my mind, there has to be invisible ink. Okay, that's what I'm saying. Invisible yes. ink, like yes. you hold it next to a candle. Yes, right, and it reveals the message. Yeah, have we done? Have we done that with this? No, uh, but I think that's the next step. Right. Yeah. So. I mean, it might result in me burning my house down because you know I'm not really too good with open flames. <laughs> well, but but I'm willing to take that risk for the I sake think, of the say that podcast. I think that's the least. Also, you could it do. should be said these are metal buttons, which I don't. I don't think open flames going to do anything to those. Sure. I mean, okay. it depends on the flame. <laughs> So, uh, yeah. So, Jed's the, almost certainly going to burn his house down with a magnesium-based fire. I, yeah. it, I think it could probably it's construct... welding torch. Yeah, you can construct a crude forge and go ahead and let's let's get after this. Melt this stuff down. Yes. What's coming out of that? You know what I mean? Sure, absolutely. Breathe the fumes. <laughs> and we're going to have ourselves a vision. This, this is, is a great plan. This is why Glenn would have been the worst Indiana Jones. <laughs> he just keeps melting stuff. <laughs> Oh, that that is surely the cup of a carpenter. Right. Yes. What are you doing with why, it? Why are you oh. melting it? <laughs> he melted it. Well, I think we I think we've cracked the case. Yes. Um, on that basis, I'm going to declare emergency mystery off. Sure, for okay. the time being, because we still know what that means. So we're just going to try to behave. Absolutely. That's that's always a safe option. The underlying uh, message of all messages we've ever received from the LCM is. You need to dial up the behavior. And yes. uh, they have a very good point. Yes. Now, obviously, we have a lot of Jesus dinosaur hot dog art we would like to commission now. Totally. Oh, yeah. Because if that's what the LCM, li- LCM likes, that's what we're doing now. Right. We're going to get in on that. Uh, but, uh, you know, you got to find somebody who can paint dinosaurs. Definitely. And that's hard to find. Yeah, you, you got to get, like, a good artist for that. Absolutely. And so... If, we're going we're gonna to need to fund that probably through Bridgebox. We're going to need the people's support to go out there and find the best dinosaur artists and the best oversized AK-47 artists. Is that the same person? Probably not. It's going to be tough. It's going to have to be a collaborative effort. 
Totally. But the good news is, if you give $8 a month to Bridgebox, missionusa.com slash Bridgebox, not only will you get the satisfaction that comes from knowing that you've helped more fine art appear in the world, but you also get songs, sermons, Bible studies, all sorts of good stuff for yourself. We are still in the month of September where our topic is, how do you love someone when you've lost respect for them? Lots of great stuff on that. So missionusa.com slash Bridgebox. All right, we're going to jump to our first question here. If you have us all the way to the end, I'll give some ways to get in touch with us. First question is a, actually a response to something we posted online, and I thought it was a really cool point. So the, the quote we had posted on our blog is, you aren't what you do, you are who loves you, and God loves you even in your sin. Start learning to live with that today. That's a quote from Glenn, I believe, from a podcast episode a few years ago. So, okay. so we, we had kind of reblogged that from the archives, and uh, somebody kind of commented on it on, on Tumblr and asked, but what does this mean? What does it practically look like? I've been struggling to understand this my whole Christian life. And uh, we, A, we always like follow-up questions. We want you to dig deeper. Mm-hmm. And I think we we really like uh, this attitude of what does that practically look like? Definitely. You, know, see, you see something line across your face, whether it's meant to be encouraging or uh, theological. Um, we, lo- we want to deal with people who want to know where the river meets the road on that, yeah. how they can actually do it. So that's what we love to look at this. And Glenn... As it's your quote, I'd love to get you to start us off on this. So we we hear this idea in church a lot. Hopefully you do that you are not your sin. Right. Someone might look at Romans five and talk about how justified means you have been declared righteous, mm-hmm. even though you still do yep. bad stuff. But other than a nice warm feeling that God mm-hmm. isn't mad at you, what does that actually mean for our life going forward? Well, I think a part of it is really starting with redefining what the word sin actually means. Uh, in your mind, it might mean doing a bad thing, uh, and and it might be doing something that you consider really bad, uh, just a really super naughty stuff. That's the sinful stuff. It's not actually what the word means at all. Uh, the the word sin means imperfection. That's by any any uh, theologian, any Greek expert, whatever they will tell you. Sin means missing the mark. There's a there's a mark of perfection. You've missed it. You're imperfect. Uh, and here's the thing: is if you can't live with imperfection, you're going to have a lot of problems in your life. Right. Um, the technical word for that is crazy pants. You get crazy is that pants Greek too. Yep. Oh. Uh, you get. If you can't live with being an imperfect person, you're crazy pants. Now you say, well, I I am having problems. Maybe I am crazy pants. Well, here's the thing. You're not. You're definitely not because you're listening to this podcast. Good call. And that makes you awesome. Now you're saying, well, I don't know about that. I just listened to a 15 minute bit, minute bit about paintings of dinosaur Jesus, AK-47. And and inhaling fumes from a, a handmade forge. <laughs> well, you know, okay. But you've recommended this podcast to some friends, and some of them didn't listen to it. And you think, oh, those people aren't that great. <laughs> so you that's how you know you're great. Now. So based on all of this, um, it, we can live with imperfection. We can, we, can, we can adjust our thinking to everyone is imperfect. I am imperfect. Uh, God loves imperfect people uh, because that's all he has down here. Okay. Uh, the second thing I want us to focus on is that sin does not reduce God's love. Sin does not affect God's love. Nothing affects God's love, period. God knows it all, sees it all. He's not surprised. He is not shocked. He he doesn't suddenly say, wow, I thought you were going to be awesome. 
but now you've really disappointed me. <laughs> That's not how it works. Uh, God's love is not diminished by anything. We could all throw as much sin as we could possibly throw at it. It does not change it, does not diminish it. Uh, it does not make him go away. Uh, there are times when we sin and we feel horrible about it and we go away, and that's the whole trick. That's what the devil's trying to make happen there. Uh, we, the devil wants to convince us that God has gone away and God doesn't go away. This is, this is what we need to get our, our minds around. Uh, we condemn ourselves and then put God's name on that. So that's what we, we have to call that thing of self-condemnation a sin. We have to call that wrong. We have to call that bad theology because it's what it is. Um, we don't want to get into uh, feeling shame about our shame because that's meta shame and we're back to crazy pants on that. Uh, so let's not do that. Uh, it, I think per Matt's comment on this on the on the blog post that he did on it, uh, really got us down to the idea of how much God wants sin out of this conversation. Because uh, you you quoted the passage uh, with Isaiah, mm-hmm. and he's saying, "I'm a man of unclean lips." And the angel takes the, 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 the coals from the altar, touches it to his lips, and say, okay, now, now we don't have that. So can we move on here? I think was basically what he said. You know, yeah. um, you know the, Jesus dies on the cross to take these sins away. Uh, the, the woman is caught in adultery. He says, hey, you know, neither do I condemn you. The, the, constantly throughout mm. the Bible— we're trying to get sin dealt with and out of that conversation so we can figure out other things and we can move forward. So I want to give you a challenge just as I hand it off to these other fellows. I want you to think about the sin in your life and what's going on. I want you to have a, a prayer time with the Lord every day and give yourself 10 seconds. Confess as much as you can get out. And if you have to make a list, whatever you you have 10 seconds. And then when 10 seconds is up, you have to talk about something else. Yep. <laughs> awesome. And I, I want you to go ahead and book like a solid uh, 45 minutes, half hour, hour of your prayer time. You get 10 seconds for a confession. And don't, don't, you know, don't squander it. Really get into it. Describe <laughs> all the stuff in detail. You no, know I'm seconds. sorry about getting angry in traffic crap. Go yeah, for it. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> hit, the, hit the highlights here. You know what I mean? But you get 10 seconds, then we got to talk about other stuff so we can focus on other things. I think it's a really great point. And uh, Glenn mentions we did, we did put a blog post out on this. And exactly mentioned that Isaiah story. Jed, let me kind of use that as a transition to, sure. to you here. Uh, exactly what Glenn is saying there. Uh, it's in Isaiah 6. Uh, God appears to Isaiah. Isaiah, woe to me. I'm a man of unclean lips. My eyes have seen Lord Almighty. And then here's what happened. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Which is a very offensive way of saying, once again, why don't we move on? Yep. But uh, one of the reasons I like that, that uh, passage in response to this question is there is that idea of we got to deal with this, yeah. which does not mean wallowing. It means removing. Yeah. And uh, we were actually having a conversation with one of our, our bridge deacons, uh, Brother George, before we came down here who was saying that uh, one of the things that he said, here's one of the things I know about me is you can tell me it works, but unless I can get a vision for how this is actually going to go, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to do it, which I think makes a lot of sense. I think we tell people, you know, don't worry about your sin. Don't worry about the guilt. 
they imagine just bacchanal and insanity. So Chad, can you paint this picture for what, what is it? What's the healthy way to look at not worrying about the guilt, not being defined by the sin and looking at the other stuff Glenn's talking about? It's a great question. Well, let's begin with a thought experiment. Here's the thought experiment. If you woke up tomorrow and the sins that you feel really, really guilty about and really, really ashamed about, they were just gone. You just had no desire to commit them. You felt no temptation towards them at all. It was just a fog had lifted and you just kind of knew you'd never struggle with those sins ever again. What now? What would you do with your life? Because I think we spend a lot of time trying to get to a point where this is just not, this sin, I don't struggle with it anymore, it's not an issue anymore, without ever asking what's going to come after that. Yeah. What, what, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? And I think for a lot of us, we're so used to feeling ashamed and feeling beaten down and beaten up that we feel like, well, I, it, it would feel like being high because I would just, I'd feel so much relief that I would just stay in a state of relieved euphoria for the rest of my life. Got all this free time now. <laughs> exactly right. Now, here's the thing is I think you probably in this, you know, fanciful situation we're describing, if you woke up tomorrow and all these things that you're ashamed of and feel bad about were basically just gone from your life, I think you would have some euphoria and that would make sense. That's fine. But at some point you'd have to say, okay, well, what now? And that's my question to you is, what now? What, what would come after that? If we look at that story from Isaiah, it's been a minute since I've read it, but if I recall the broader context, there's a moment where God is saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Yeah, that immediately follows the, uh, the passage we read. There you go. God is saying, I have work that needs to be done. I have a mission and a task that I need accomplished. And Isaiah, because uh, he's a cool dude, says, I'll go. I'll do it, which is awesome. Now, is there sin in the way? There is. And we got to deal with the sin. We can't ignore it. But the whole point of the angel with the stone and the thing is we're getting the sin out of the way so that we can move on to other things, so that we can move on. In Isaiah's case, that's because God had a job and a mission and a thing that he wanted to see happen. And Isaiah was the right guy for the job. Here's my question for you is what's the job God has for you? Because he's got one. And if you can dig it, if the devil's been pressing on you that hard over the, the weight of your grievous, grievous sin, the devil knows God has a job for you too. And he's desperately hoping you won't figure that out. And he's desperately hoping that you won't do anything with it. I think you owe it to yourself to start doing some daydreaming about what would come next if this sin stuff just wasn't an issue for you. And I think you owe it to yourself after you've done your 10 second confession challenge to start asking God to give you a vision of what mm -hmm. comes next, of what the mission he has for you, the adventure that he has for you, of, of the work that he has for you. God has amazing things for you. I, I promise you and I guarantee you. And, and here's the funny thing is, all of us struggle with a sense of, first, I got to get myself squared away. First, I got to get myself basically sinless and basically lined out, and then I'll, right. go, I'll go do this other stuff. And we, we never stop to think about what that other stuff would be. But the other thing that we don't think about is, if you want to grow kind of if you want to grow as a Christian and you, and you want to growth as a Christian that includes doing fewer wrong things, the way you get there is by going on an adventure with God. That That's mm -hmm. how that actually happens. The idea of first, I will get all this naughty, naughty sin out of my life and then I'll do other things. That just doesn't work, man. Right. It just, it, it's never worked for anybody. And that's, and that's not how it's going to work for you. If we're willing to, to let God touch our lips with that hot coal and say, I've done it. 
I've forgiven you. It's taken care of. Can we can we go on an adventure now? If we're willing to do that, which takes faith, that takes courage. That's that's no small business. We will find ourselves having a lot more fun. We'll have our, find ourselves leading a far more meaningful life. But the odd thing is, along the way, we're also going to find ourselves growing, where we end up doing fewer wrong things. So it all works out. Absolutely, and it cannot be stressed enough. Metaphorical hot coal. Right. That's <laughs> just, you know, FDA warning, you know. Right. The legal department is, is a buzz in our ear. So we, we take the forge where we've no, melted no, no. down no. the... No, that's right. not... Okay. Unless well. you've had a metallurgical training, no forging. <laughs> okay. That's, that's not a home, that's not a home thing. <laughs> well, uh, okay. <laughs> and we love to get you close out here. I think one of the, the last things we need to look at on this is it, it is true that there is a, a temptation that all of us have to wallow. Um, and mm-hmm. there's some cultural things that follow it up, but I think it's worth, as we say, don't wallow and let's move forward. Let's look at maybe what people think they get out of the wallowing. Let's diagnose that a little bit and, uh, show why, what we're putting to pointing to here is a better idea. Yeah. I think that, I think that one of the things that people think they get out of the wallow is, um, eventually there's a thing that if I feel bad enough for myself, and if I'm down on myself enough, then everybody else is going to come around me and then go ahead and say, but you know what? You're not, you're not that bad. Every, you, you know, it's, it's probably really my fault. Um, you see this in little kids um, where, um, you know, if you have a critique to make or you have um, some correction to make, they'll get so down on themselves that eventually when you, when you came to make a, a, a good correction that needed to be made, then in the end, you wind up kind of play t- placating and taking care of their, you know, their, 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 their poor feelings. Um, and, and this is a defense that people use against ever hearing any criticism of themselves or ever hearing any critique of themselves is, I'm going to feel so terrible about myself that in the end, you're going to come and defend me. Um, and I think that there's a, there's a thing in human psychology where this comes from is, that no matter how much you tell me about grace, in the end, I actually want to be awesome. That's what I want. I want to earn it. I want to be impressive. I want to have done this. I want, in the end, I want the ledger to read, I earned it. And the problem is, is uh, we super didn't. And we way are not awesome. We didn't earn it. We're not awesome. And that's uncomfortable. And that's why, like, if if you are a person that you can't hear a criticism, you can't hear a critique, you can't take correction, um, you, your, automatic, uh, your automatic stance is to be super defensive, um, that might be a clue when we're looking at what is this actually, you know, part of the question was, what does this look like lived out? Well, that might be a clue to me that, that I, really don't, I really don't have this grace thing down deep inside me because I want to be impressive. Grace doesn't tell you that you're impressive, but grace does tell you that you're important. You were important enough to die for. You're important enough for Jesus to take your place. Not impressive. And there's a, there's a thing where some of this stuff that we're talking about, I, I love the stuff that Glenn was saying about what the devil wants to do to you in the midst of all these things. There's, there's a, a, a really cool thing that can happen once you accept that I'm a person that needs a lot of forgiveness and a lot of mercy, that a person that's going to screw up. I'm an imperfect person. Once you really take that to heart, when the devil tries to make you feel super, you know, guilty and ashamed of all of your wrong and naughty stuff, there's a point you can get to where you can say, so what? 
So what? And that is a really, really cool place. When you have the freedom to say over your stuff, so what? I sinned again. Who's surprised? Um, when you are able to not be so defensive, and then you don't have to wallow, then you are a person who is freely admitting, I'm an imperfect person who needs a lot of forgiveness, a lot of grace, and that's how you can move past this stuff. When you can get to the place of so what instead of being defensive, then not everybody is going around having to put your feelings back together. Then you're actually, that, that's going to overflow into different parts of your life where you can hear correction when you need it, where you can take a critique, where questions about your character, all that kind of stuff is a whole lot more comfortable when you realize I, I am an imperfect person. And that actually doesn't make me that uncomfortable. I'm an imperfect person who has found an unbelievably gracious God. And I, I have all these people in my life who know how to have mercy on me and forgive me too. I'm in a community of people. We know how to forgive each other. We know how to be understanding towards each other because we've received all this grace from God. We know how to say so what over this thing instead of wallowing in it. And that really helps us to move through some of this stuff and not be so completely surprised that we messed up or, and so completely defensive of our own selves all the time, but able to just kind of say, so what? and move through it, and then go on the adventure as these guys are talking about. That's all really fantastic stuff. I think Leaf points to and puts a bow on something very, very important there. Uh, when, you're, when you are trying to visualize, trying to do the thought experiment of what this looks like, it is never the giant emotional victory over guilt or shame or whatever. It always looks more like who cares. It's, it's, having more, it's not that you don't care about your sin anymore, you don't, you're not sure. worried about it. It's that there, as these guys point out, the the adventure, the the calling. There's something just having a life that's better. There's something that is more important and takes precedence. And turns out, when people are in motion, the guilt and the shame and the drama of that, which is another big thing that we're all kind of drawn to about it, the dark night of the soul and the wrestling with it. Uh, when you when you're tired from actually doing something, that's just a far less appealing thing. So as far as the when we want to give, uh, if we wanted to give one concrete step, someone who wrote in and said, you know, I like the idea. I've been struggling with this. What do I do? Find some way to serve. Do that. Whether you feel like you're qualified or not, whether you feel like you're holy enough or not, as we often point out, no hungry person has ever asked to see my internet browser history. They just kind of <laughs> want the thing they want. Same, same thing. I was a jailhouse earlier today. Nobody asked just if you're there to do the thing, they want to receive it. So, Start to get in that motion and see if some of the, the emotions don't follow in their own way. Right. We'll move on to our second question here. It comes in anonymously and it says, how do you get over making mistakes? I can be a bit of a perfectionist, so failure ruins my day. I struggle with comparing myself to my better and more experienced colleagues. I have a hard time letting go once I'm home and wonder if you have any good strategies to help overcome that. And Jen, why don't you kick us off? Well, my friend, I'm sorry for what you're dealing with. That's, that's a tough place to be, and it's train actually I know pretty well in my own life. Here's the phrase that I would start you with, is the idea of progress, not perfection. That's what we're looking for in life. Progress, not perfection. And there's a few reasons for it. The first is, you're not going to have perfection. Mm -hmm. on anything ever. There, there is no such thing as that. So if you're, if you're trying to get that, it's, it's all disappointment and let down the whole time. By contrast, progress you can do at anything. You can always make progress. It's, it's great. And really what this leads to is the idea that if, if we want to have a happy life, and, and, and I want you to have a happy life, and you should want to have a happy life, 
part of that means redefining success. Um, people, it, it is good to, in a way, it's good to want to be successful, but we need to define what success is. And one of the things that I would urge you towards is in different areas of your life, you need to define success in a way where you actually have control over it. If success entirely depends on external things that you can't impact, then you're not going to succeed at very much, and and life's going to feel like a bit of a failure. That's a bad way to live. A much, much happier, much more effective way to live is to define success where you have the ability to influence it. You have the ability to impact it. So, for example, success in your work situation should not be getting everything just right should not be getting everything perfect. You don't have the ability to do that. No one does, but you definitely don't. So we do not want to define success that way. If instead, if we define success as day by day learning and thus making small bits of progress, dude, we can succeed every single day. Days we feel good about, days we feel bad about, we can succeed every single day because we've defined success appropriately. You have complete control over whether or not you learn something today. You have complete control over it. You can choose to go in there and learn something. You may screw up a dozen things. That's all right. That doesn't affect whether or not you succeeded today. If you went in there and you learned something, then you succeeded. That's it. That's great. That's fantastic. Now, You might be listening to this and saying, well, that sounds like a lot of self-help hogwash. And how does that, I want to rock. And how does that get me? I don't (laughs) rock currently. I want to be awesome. As Lee was saying, you got nothing for me, man. Uh Aha. But I do. Because this is the thing is you want to rock. That's a very human desire. It's very normal. Let's talk about how you get to the point of rocking. You don't get to the point of rocking by beating up on yourself. Right. Amen. That just doesn't work. And you don't get to the point of rocking with a superhuman display of willpower. That doesn't work either. <laughs> to whatever extent you can rock at a given pursuit, you get there through small incremental improvement over a long period of time. That's it. Anybody who rocks, to whatever extent they rock, to whatever extent they have control over their rocking, that's it. Small incremental improvement over a long period of time. Different people have different levels of natural talent for different pursuits. That's fine. Right. That That's in there too. You don't have any control over that. You do have control over whether or not you do small incremental improvement that begins with learning. And that begins with redefining success. For the four guys on this podcast, we don't think you're a failure. We don't think you're a screw up, but we do think that you're a person that's letting success be defined for you in a way that ends up with you always feeling like a loser. We want you to flip that around and start living into a new kind of life that will have you feeling better immediately and will actually lead to much better results in the long term. Absolutely. My favorite Kiss song is I want to make small incremental improvements all night and party every day. That's a lot of really great stuff there. And I think a yeah. lot of this is going to be end up being about setting expectations. Cause you know, you mentioned the question, I, I struggle with comparing myself to my better and more experienced colleagues. We talk a lot in this, this show about uh, healthy expectations and achievable goals, and that's not really doing it. Um, so Lee, I'd love you to, you to pick us up there because as Jed points out, and it's, it's absolutely right. Um, failure is part of life. The only way, right. the only way to really, insulate yourself into a failure-free life is never try anything right so but it's for people who grew up maybe very just very achievement-minded maybe you know school was easy for them something like that you know um it, it can be a frustrating thing to learn about in later life but how do we go about as we're implementing these things jed is talking to us about in these scenarios what can we do other than that just to kind of get more comfortable with being bad at stuff 
Yeah, I, I'm a real quick story. I was talking to a guy um, one time who was saying that. Um, which, by the way, this is a guy that's super, super uptight and uh, stressed out all the time, always wants everything in his world to be perfect, perfectly lined up, perfectly uh, matched up, all that kind of stuff. And he was telling me one time that he was always good at whatever sport he tried, except one time he tried golf. And he said, I wasn't good at that game. And he said, so I never picked up clubs again. Ah. And I was like... Wow. Um, now, he didn't invite any pushback on that, but it was a very interesting thing. He was like, yeah, I was always good at basketball. I was good at football. I was a good swimmer, good at tennis, that whole thing. Tried golf one time, sucked at it, and never picked it back up again. Uh, and, and you know, you know, 30 years later, the guy is high-strung, super uptight, perfectionist, expects high, has high expectations for everybody in his life all the time. And the, one of the things that I felt walking away from that conversation was, you should have sucked at golf more. That would have been good for you. Yeah. Um, And and so I I tell you that story to say this. Um, I think Jed's absolutely right. Changing your goals is going to totally change the way you see the world. And at the same time, one thing that I would say is if you've identified perfectionism as something that is is really making you unhappy, I mean, really that's one of the impacts of this this pursuit of perfectionism. It's really... It's really, you know, kind of cramping your style. It's really messing you up. I would suggest uh, trying just in a totally different aspect of your life, try something brand new that takes a lot of skill and repetition that you're going to suck at for a long time. Um, So here's what I'm saying on that. What I mean is I'm not talking about in your profession or whatever. I'm saying like try to bake like a fruit tart, like go to Alton Brown's website and look up his recipe for like baking something complex. And try that. Try baking something. Um, try, 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 some, try some kind of thing that you've never done before, where you have to start at ground zero, and you have to build small, uh, repeatable you know, repetition and skill over a long period of time. Over the past few years, I've tried to learn a language. And I've got to tell you, man, it's been one of the most frustrating, um, humbling, humiliating, at times extremely embarrassing things. And I, I read a paper one time by uh, someone who's called a, uh, some, somebody that's a polyglot, which means somebody that speaks like 10, 15, 20 languages. And what they said is the number one thing that holds people back from being able to master a second language or a third language or whatever is the embarrassment of making a mistake. They won't just dive in and try it because they're embarrassed of making a mistake. I think it would be really good for a lot of people to try to expand into other things in their life where they have to start at zero, pick up the guitar or pick up piano or something like that, where you've got to start at really small things. You start at zero and you have to get better and better and better over time. Small achievable goals where you make a lot of mistakes and you start where everybody does. Um, that's kind of a, it's one of those humbling experiences that can flood its banks into other part of your lives, other part of your, other parts of your life. And really the overall effect is to help you to laugh at yourself a little bit and to chill out. And, and I hope that doesn't sound like harsh advice. I, I hope it feels like really human advice that it's a really good thing to, to actually suck at something for a while, yeah. learn to laugh at yourself. And, and then over time with these small achievable goals, like Jeb was talking about, find out I can take small steps forward and I can get better at stuff, but I have to start at zero just like everybody else. Absolutely right. I think that's all really, really smart stuff. And Glenn, let's, let's, I'd love you to close out here and let's look at a couple of maybe underlying mentalities that are 
we can strongly guess are going on here. Certainly aren't a lot of people we know who, uh, you know, we talk, we deal with uh, college kids or even weirdly enough, um, folks who are coming out of uh, drug addiction and even uh, chronic homelessness can have a weird perfectionist streak. Right. Where they don't want to do something to avoid that exact embarrassment Lee's Mm -hmm. talking about, which Mm -hmm. is an interesting mindset. But I I think we can certainly understand that there are some things, and particularly people raised a certain way, where everything has a ranking. Right. Everything is a competition. You know, you you, you got your class ranking, you got your uh, musical, your first chair, second chair, Mm -hmm. you know, you got the, the times on the track thing put up there. But you get into the adult world and <laughs> at your job, I mean, you're kind of either getting fired or you're not. Right. There's probably not a leaderboard at your right. job. Right. So there it really does need to be a different way of evaluating progress and your standing in things. And what does that have to do with this whole idea? Well, I think especially in a work environment, but really, really in any environment, uh, our our our, our is it a case that they can only keep one of you and you've got to fight for your spot or something like that? Uh, are you actually in competition? And if you're not, why do you see yourself that way? Accounting yeah. firm of the flies. Yeah. I mean, it's like, there can only be one. It's, <laughs> it's the octagon of accounting, you know, welcome know. to Highlander insurance. Yeah. You know, so, you know, we, and I say that as, as an extremely perfectionistic competitive type of person, a very driven type person as everyone on this podcast is. Uh, but per what Lee is saying, we don't achieve. I don't think anyone achieves success by avoiding weakness. You know, you achieve success by courting your own failure. You're you're getting yourself in a position where you're in over your head. You are incompetent right, at this, right? And you fight your way up out of that. That's what a successful person is. So, a successful person, if you dig what I'm saying, by that definition, is actually incompetent a pretty sizable period of time. That you know, you you put yourself in a position where you are incompetent, and then you get competent, and you move on to another area. So that you graduate out of okay, I've finally done this thing. Now I need to move on. Everyone who works for me has heard me say, "You're succeeding too much. You need to fail more. Do something new that that you could fail at because it's good for you." You know, it's you. It, it there's there's nothing like a hot streak that makes you feel like, man, I have to keep this going, and I have to be perfect every time. There's that leads to an an unhealthy mindset. You're better off with a little bit of failure, a little bit of struggle, uh, you know, dealing with your weaknesses. Uh, we just had a a meeting here at the house where we had all of our staff, and then we brought in all of our volunteers, all of our deacons. We all got together. We had a, an amazing meal. Uh, and we we huddled up together. We had all kinds of good fellowship. And I said, okay, let's let's get down to talking about. Uh, all the amazing work that all of you are doing, and I want to go through it, and then we're going to vote three people off the island. Now, here's the thing is that's in a way, you get that mentality going of, if I'm the weakest one in the room, maybe they're going to vote me off the island. Here's the thing. The, 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 whoever would be the weakest person in that outfit, I promise you, is sharper than whatever is going on wherever you're at. So they don't have anything to worry about whether they're the weakest or the strongest. It doesn't matter. They're so far over the line of what we need and want and hope and expect, uh, and they're growing every day. So we don't need to think in these competitive terms at all. Uh, we need to look at uh, growth. 
And that's what I want to look at next is for you, wherever you're at, are you new to it? Because if mm. you're new, you can't be bad. You're new. Right. It, it, are you are you good at it? No. Why? Because you're new. New when you're new at it, you're not good at it. So that's you know, you're you're if you're new, then you don't get to be bad. You you just, you're just new. Uh, but then I think moving forward off that, if you're new at something and you're not d- doing it terribly well, you can sit and compare yourself to other people. And I think there's a lot of that that happens in church. Here's one person acting fake as all get out and super holy. And then here's all these other people comparing themselves to that person and feeling like, oh, I guess I, you know, I don't Look know. how well behaved their children are. They probably didn't have to threaten to murder them in the van before right, we came in here. Exactly right. You know, <laughs> you know, well, okay. But uh, first of all, uh, there, there is no ranking system. Second of all, that person is a big old fake anyway. Uh, <laughs> thirdly, what happens if you're the worst person in this church? What, what's, what happens? Do, do they, do, no one's going to tap you on the shoulder and say, you know what, beat it, we're tired of you. You're just not, you know, whatever it is. Uh, but here's the question I'm also asking. If you feel like you're surrounded by, as you put it, colleagues that are, are much more experienced and all of that, are we getting advice? Are we getting insight? Or if you're, if this is a church type of thing, are we getting mentoring and 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 counseling and discipleship work going on within ourselves? Because if you feel like everybody else is sharper than you, here's what you need to do: you need to sidle up to that person and say, "Hey, I'm not as uh, advanced as you are. Can I get some help?" You're going to find out one or two things. Either that person is going to say, sure, love to do it. I'm so excited to do that. I feel great about it. And then that person is going to have a, a lot of confidence in you because they're they're telling you what's going on. Or that person is going to do uh, sort of this uh, mumble, mumble, oh, besides and so forth, I'm really busy. I don't, I, I will see. I'm not so sure. And that's the sound that a big old fake makes. Mm. When they don't really have anything going on, and they don't have anything they can teach you because it's all a big old fake. So uh, finding ways of learning and growing in that way cures all these problems. Oh, yeah, it's really, really sharp. That's an excellent way to look at that. Um, again, this is one of those things where kind of fear of failure. There's this idea that um, it will motivate me to newer heights, and I will just be hyper vigilant. And no, it's just going to sap all the joy out of your life. Um, yeah. Um, we, we've talked with, with guys we work with and with just friends, we have all the conversation people have just, and it kind of goes back to the golf thing. Lee was talking about if, if you have a life where you're only willing to try things you're going to be good at, or you're already good at, that is inherently going to be a small life. Um, right. I enjoy all sorts of things I suck at. Um, it doesn't stop me enjoying them because I don't have to be good at them to do them or to enjoy them. There are things in life, you know, job performance where, yeah, you got to be, you got to be good. And he's got to point out, you have to be in a point of progressing in this. Obviously, you know, if you're, it's fine to not know something day one of this new job. If you still don't know it at the end of year one, that would probably be an issue, but that's, that's about progress. But this idea of, I kind of only want to be around things that I excel at or understand or get from the jump. It's not only that stops you from developing to being good at things, which it does. It's that it kind of robs you this whole world of things you're you're never going to be that good at. You know, you you may never be an Ironman triathlete, 
you still might enjoy a bike ride, but we, I think particularly, you know, in, in American culture and a lot of, you know, the Western culture of this idea of the best thing is the thing you are best at is totally wrong. And it, it can uh, limit you in some ways we talk about, you know, with service and stuff, you know, we, we had this meeting Glenn was talking about with our kind of extended staff and volunteers. And one of the, the recurring themes of that meeting was, uh, well, you know, I do, you know, I do, I drive, uh, the van full of guys, right. You know, I, I had started doing some speaking up front or I've started leading this Bible studies ladies and was, I don't think that's, a, I didn't think that's a thing I would be good at. And I still don't think it's a thing I'm particularly gifted at, but I'm having a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So I'll just kind of keep writing it out. And a lot of stuff in the kingdom is that way. If you, if you have yeah. both a work life and particularly a faith life, you're looking for a place to plug in and look to start with, what would I be super good at? And everyone would think I am amazingly suited for this is not really the start way to go. Starting for opportunities earlier. And that's what we mean when we say that this opens up uh, a little bit of world team. These guys give you some very good, small practical steps to take on that. So we're going to move on to our, Third question comes in anonymously, and it says, sorry for the repeat question, because I'm sure you've answered this before, but I don't know where the search button is anymore. Thank you, Tumblr. Um, we have answered it before, but we're happy to do it again. <laughs> and uh, we know folks come in and are new to uh, the podcast and the blogs and all that stuff all the time, so we're happy to, especially on these kind of things, do some double dips. May I have some devotions recommendations? Something easy to follow and understand. Daily quick devotions that I can read for encouragement. I always... Gave up on devotions because it was such a mind, time, effort sink. So I'm trying and hoping to find something quick and easy to build the habit. Um, and I think this is a really good idea. We we put some uh, some recommendations on the blog. So and we we have done recommendations before. But Lee, let's let's look at less the recommendations and more this idea of I want to jump into this habit and I want to get that started and I want to know more about what that devotional thing looks like. Where would you start on that? Yeah, I think the first thing that I would start with is is why we want to build a habit of this. Uh, the why question is extremely important, because if we don't know why we're doing this, then that thing could be uh, could become an empty shell real, real quick. And as soon as something becomes kind of pointless, then that habit's going to break the very next thing. Um, so we need to figure out why we're doing this. Um, one thing that we we are not doing is we're not trying to uh, check off a daily to do list, as if just the just the fact of of doing something is guaranteed to to change my life or something like that. I mean, there there's there's a lot of value in 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 uh, you know the way the brain works with repetition and stuff like that, getting a pattern down. But we don't want to we don't want to make a devotional time about checking off a to do list. Another thing we don't want to do is we don't want to do this so that we're somehow winning um, in the gold star Christian thing. We're not we don't need to do this to to make anybody else think anything else about us. Um, we need better goals than that. If we want to answer the question, why am I try, trying to build a daily habit of a devotional time? We need some good goals. Um, I, I, I've kind of thought about a few of mine, uh, just some of the things that I'm looking for. Um, these are a, a few of the things that I'm looking for, the reason that I try to spend some time with the Lord every day. One is I'm just straight up trying to maintain my friendship with Jesus. I'm trying to spend time with him. Uh, we have a friendship. That's what he said he came for. He said, I want to call you my friends. And so I want to maintain that. Um, I I very, very easily forget true and important and good things that I need to remember. 
And so I want to spend some time uh, in the scripture. I want to spend a devotional time so that I can remember the things that that I'm going to need to make it through the day. I need a place in my life where I can be honest about my questions and confusions, frustrations, all of that stuff. And so I need that time and I need it to be pretty regular because I got a lot of, I got a lot of trash to take out. Um, I need a lot of wisdom and guidance for decisions I've got to make, for difficult relationships that I'm in. These are just a few of the things that, that the reasons that for me, I want to have this regular time. I want to figure stuff out. And there's a lot of things that, that these other brothers can talk about, what you can do during that devotional time, but we've got to start with a good reason why. It can't be about ticking off a to-do list, and it can't be about looking good as a Christian. I, there are some actual things that I need, and once I have the sense of what those things are, then that's going to help drive me forward into, uh, into spending a more consistent and regular time with the Lord. I think it's a really great point, and it does point to something that's going to be very important to this discussion about setting the Sabbath overall, which is that this is the goal is not to do it right and then set things for it. Uh, Jed, maybe you can pick up on this very important point that Lee's laying out here that uh, the idea of a devotional time is to give you what you need for your day. Yeah. So that's going to necessarily flex based on what you need, right? Absolutely right. Absolutely right. I, I think you need to pay attention to the season that you're in. Uh, in other words, I think you can put a metaphor in a sense between um, your devotional time, your devotional practices, and physical exercise. If you took a job that required a bunch of heavy lifting and you didn't want to hurt yourself, it would be good to do some physical exercise that involved heavy lifting, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. There's other forms of exercise that have other benefits for the body, but you know, playing some light tennis wouldn't really keep you from hurting yourself at work. You you would need to do other forms of training to really be in the zone for that. Well, it's a similar thing. What you're facing in a given season, what you're dealing with, and thus what you need out of your devotional time is going to vary. And that's, that's normal. So um, if you're looking at tough changes you need to make, then that may be about courage. And I really need a devotional time that's reinforcing me on that. Um, if you've got, you know, a slog where it's, I know what I need to do, and it's really about keeping going in the midst of a tough situation. Then that's more about strength and long suffering, and and you know, orienting a devotional time to be able to do that. If you've got a bunch of decisions that you need to make that have you know broad-reaching impact, then that's really about wisdom and, and figuring out how do I do a devotional time that that really helps me with that. And I think too, it's about saying a custom solution, something that that works specifically for me. I'll give an example. Yeah. This is a a few years ago. I was working on a project um, with a fella and um, man, he just, he just lost his mind about halfway through the project and, and it it was rough. It, it, it's been a while since someone's mistreated me as badly as this person did. And um, it was one of those things where um, logistically it was kind of hard to walk away from the project because it, it, you know, had some long raging impacts to it and it would, it just wouldn't work terribly well. But, you know, and I had, I had been clear with the guy that the behavior wasn't cool and, you know, I wasn't going to put up with it, but all the same, I was just so angry and so like, dang dude. And it's one of these where I knew that if I, if I kind of harbored a bad attitude, it it would poison all the work that had gone into the project. It would keep the project from succeeding. I, I needed to find a way to have a Christ-like attitude towards this dude, even though man had this taken a sharp left turn. And so 
I I looked up you know the verses about forgiveness and 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 I looked at all of them and, and I you know found the one where Jesus says you know you know uh, uh, pray for your enemies you know pray for those who persecute you so I made a graphic and I put it the lock screen on my phone so that every single time I picked up my phone I would be reminded of that yeah. for me that makes a real difference. Whether it make any difference for you, I don't know. But for me, that made a real difference. And actually, when I've got issues in my life today where I've got this thing and I know what the Lord says about it, but I need to keep that in front of me, that's what I do. I, I, I find the thing that's reminding me of what the Lord's perspective is. That's my lock screen on my phone. Um, that's, it's not about whether or not it's a great solution for you. It's a great solution for me. And so the point here is figure out what you need for the season that you're in and then what gives you that in terms of you interfacing with the Lord. That's really, really strong stuff. And Glenn, David, you pick us up there because I love what uh, Jed's laying down for us there, which is, I think, maybe con- contrary or at least different than the way an idealized kind of coffee shop you know, journal time is of just, you know, yeah. I just open up the word and just, you know, whatever the Lord wants to show me that morning. I, the idea of, I, no, I need something. So I'm going looking right. for something. I think that can, is not necessarily the way we always have to do a devotional time. It's fine to say, you know, I'm reading through the gospels or whatever. But I think that idea of I, I'm going in this actively to get something is an important uh, factor in this. For sure. I think, uh, as these fellows are saying, if you want to have a good devotional time, make it not look like everyone else's devotional time, because you're different, you're unique, and you need to lean into that. If you told me, get a journal and go to a coffee shop and get some devotional time going, I am not that dude. I'm not <laughs> wired that way. I'm Give you an example of what, I, what I'm talking about. Because uh, I'm on what Jed's talking about. I have to customize this thing. If I... My prayer time, is, not initially devotional time, but my most important prayer time is first thing in the morning. If that doesn't happen, we're in trouble on this day. <laughs> I don't wake up in, in, entirely Christian most days, and I have to get back in touch with my Christianity based on I'm not that happy about being awake. So we've got to, we have to regroup that. Now, if you told me pray at the end of the day— uh, when I'm exhausted and I can't knit two thoughts together, I'm not going to have an effective prayer time. And I, now, during that time frame, I might need to be giving up different stresses during the day and those kinds of things. But uh, that time where I'm really starting my day and getting things right is is crucial for me. So you have to look at what's working for you. Uh, for me, I want to come if I'm if you're talking about uh, you know a devotional type of thing, I want to come. Combine prayer time, Bible reading time, and meditation time, which I, th- I think is missing from a lot of people's devotional type stuff. Uh, the prayer time is, as I'm saying here, uh, you're going to find a time of day where that works for you. Uh, I, if you have a long commute for work or to school, if you ride on the on the train or uh, you're sitting in your car for a while. That might be the perfect time for you to have a good prayer time. I, that, there's nothing wrong with that. If you feel like that's less real and less good than someone sitting in a coffee shop, you're just dead wrong. It, it, you're it, Finding what works for you and then working it is what a good devotional time is. Uh, same thing with Bible reading. Uh, I For me, it's very weird because... Uh, a part of part of uh, what I'm doing is uh, kind of like Jed was saying. I I want to kind of be immersed in the Word in a way. It's almost like you're just uh, surrounding yourself with it, kind of stuff. 
And uh, for me, I do a lot of audio Bibles. I know Lee does some of that as well. Uh, you know, but I I'll, I have a hobby where I'm I'm working on stuff, and my mind is just kind of, uh, you know, just drifting. And I can listen to that audio Bible while I'm working on stuff, and yeah. it just it just feels like I'm soaking it in deeper because my mind is freer because I'm working on this hobby thing. So in a weird way, if I was just sitting in a room staring into space and listening to, to the, the Bible, it wouldn't impact me the same way. That's very weird, but it, it's what works for me. Uh, right. I want you to find that thing that works for you. The other thing I'm doing with my Bible reading time is I'm, you know, I've been trying to learn more Greek, so that's almost more of an academic thing, really. But what's interesting is, as I learn more of that stuff, it's unlocking things in Scripture that I hadn't seen before. Well, that's what leads us into that meditation time. There's stuff where I'm learning new, whether I'm getting that in prayer with the Lord, whether, whether I'm getting that through Scripture, uh, that I'm hearing uh, you know, my audio Bible or something I'm reading in Greek. I'm getting something new, but I need to think about it. You know, I need to meditate on it. I need to cogitate on that. I need to run that around in my brain. What are the implications of that? What does this mean? If I don't take that time, that's really where my, you know, th- that's where the devotional type thing, you know, what you're, what you're calling a devotional, that's what it needs to do. It needs to give you a chance to deal with the struggles that you're having in life and onboard new information about that. And what are the implications of that? If if I have a meditation time where I can meditate on this word and meditate on on how it applies to my life, that's going to be the most effective for me. That's all really fantastic stuff. And you asked for recommendations, so we don't want to leave you hanging on that. So if you want to check this out, this is a blog post we put up at thebridgechicago.tumble.com on uh, Friday, September the 14th. And uh, we'll, we'll break this down real quick. So there's... there's when when people talk about devotionals, most of what mostly what they mean is a a book with a little daily reading that can be all scripture, that can be scripture with somebody put a little commentary to it. So if you have kind of this the classic examples of that are a book called My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald mm-hmm. Chambers and a book called Morning and Evening by a, a pastor named C. H. Spurgeon. So th- those are again kind of that the prototypical thing people think. So it's a maybe just one verse and then a page maybe half page normally not more than one you know couple paragraphs of reading of just kind of here's the here's an idea and then as these guys talk about this meant to lead you into how do i need to apply this into my life what am i thinking about on that so and also if you have any christian writer you just like um their stuff if they have any uh fame their stuff is probably being compiled into one of these kind of things so i talk on the show about a guy named frederick beekner a lot he has a book called listen to your life that it's just kind of thing but it's his writing so it's a little paragraph from this and it's about that. I may have a Bible verse reference to, uh, you know, uh, Glenn, because he's Danish and cool and the rest of us like yep. the Kierkegaard, yep. that C.S. Lewis, Tolkien, all this stuff mm-hmm. has been put into that kind of thing. And again, you wouldn't want to do that forever. You wouldn't want to only read C.S. Lewis, but if you're in a little different period, you want to shake something up. That's great. If you don't want to do just straight Bible, there's uh, you can buy, you can go to a bookstore or go on Amazon. There's a thing called a one year Bible, mm-hmm. which is exactly yep. what it sounds like. It breaks it all down. You can read it here or you can read it over, a couple of three years, because every day has like a New Testament passage, an Old Testament passage, and a Psalms passage. Yeah, and you can do a, a one-year New Testament, and that mm-hmm. goes pretty quick. Yep, and you can do there, like if you go to Bible Study Tools or Bible Hub, and these uh, websites talk about, they'll like, are using Google Bible Reading Plan, so you just get your Bible and say, you know, 
day one, read, you know, Matthew one and mm-hmm. Matthew one, this part to this part. And you kind of chunk it through that way. Um, and one of the things about all these, and it's, it really is helpful for stopping burnout as you may notice is none of this is a lot of content. That's not the idea. You, you could sit down in a 30 minute time, read all four gospels. They are short. You're going to probably going to get a lot more about it. If you read just a chapter, a chunk here, mm-hmm. a story there, yeah. because again, the idea of this as Glenn points out for, it's a great point. This is not a study time that gets mixed right. up. Like at study and devotional devotional is a different thing. You're not really looking to onboard new information in that way. You may, if you're just doing a Bible study or reading through something, and that's great if you're wondering that, but if you're talking about devotional time, that's a little bit. And then applying that out, looking for those things. So it's very important. And if you're feeling the burnout, less is more in one of these things. It's yep. definitely something we point to. And you can also check out Lee has put together a ton of short uh, things. It's been just that uh, some for Advent, some for Lent and some, uh, just kind of uh, general ones. He calls Ferris 10,000. You find all that at leeyunger.com. Check the archive there. All right. If you have a question for us, say it, podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. We're going to have the song this week. In a week, we're talking of mysterious things. Ooh. We have a song from the ever-reclusive Pool House Guru. Oh, wow. very mysterious. This is based on a verse out of Philippians. It's called Press On. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. The Say That Podcast urging you to send all future cryptic messages spelled out in icing on baked goods. Nice. I press on, forgetting what's behind. I press on towards what's ahead, towards what is next. Forgetting what's behind. I press on towards what's ahead, towards what is next. To what is next Brothers and sisters I don't think I've got this But one thing I do But one thing I do I press on Brothers and sisters I don't think I've got this But one thing I do Forgetting what's behind, I press on towards what's ahead, towards what is next. Forgetting what's behind, I press on towards what's ahead, towards what is next. Forgetting what's behind, I press on towards what's ahead, towards what is next. Brothers and sisters, I don't think I've got this. One thing I do, one thing I do.
one thing I 